You are listening to another No Fair Remembering Stuff, the Tuesday edition of the Professional Left Podcast, and available wherever you get your podcasts, and at our website, proleftpod.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a Patreon button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at The Professional Left, P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. And it's not safe for work. And today we're going to start out in July of the year 2000. The governor of Texas, George W. Bush, had won the Republican nomination for president and was campaigning hard in what was going to be an extremely close contest between Bush and President Bill Clinton's vice president, Al Gore. It's a race that would not be decided until the Republican majority on the Supreme Court awarded the presidency to Bush on December 12, 2000, making Bush the only president to win the election but lose the popular vote since 1888, and only the fourth president in American history. It was always going to be a close thing, so Bush went looking for votes everywhere, including the NAACP, where he delivered a long speech on July 9th, 2000, which is remembered today for only one segment. Quote, Discrimination is still a reality, even when it takes different forms. Instead of Jim Crow, there's racial redlining and profiling. Instead of separate but equal, there's separate and forgotten. Strong civil rights enforcement will be a cornerstone of my administration. And I will confront another form of bias, the soft bigotry of low expectations, unquote. On today's show, we're going to look back at the career of one of Americans' greatest beneficiaries of the soft bigotry of low expectations, Michael Steele. Yeah. By the way, he's just been given his own show on MSNBC. Yes, he has. We're going to discuss how Michael Steele came to be who he is today and the tides and currents of Republican politics that created him. And we're going to start with the highest office Michael Steele ever achieved, the mostly ceremonial job of Lieutenant Governor of the state of Maryland, a position which, fun fact, under a 1970 amendment to the Maryland State Constitution, quote, shall have only the duties delegated to him by the governor, unquote. Uh, 1970, I'm telling you. Yeah, him, him, baby. Him. Mm -hmm. In practice, that means Maryland's lieutenant governor attends cabinet meetings, chairs various task forces and commissions, and represents the state at ceremonial functions and events. And Steele held that position from January 15th, 2003, through January 17th, 2007. Now, in 2006, Michael Steele did make a bid for higher political office and failed decisively. Uh, the incumbent Democrat, Paul Sorbanes, was at the time Maryland's longest-serving U.S. senator, and he had decided to retire instead of seeking a sixth term. The Democratic nominee was Ben Cardin, who beat Steele by 10 points. And the details of Steele's failure are quite revealing. Remember, 2016 was the year that payment for all the lies and disasters of the Bush administration started to come due. In 2016, Democrats flipped six seats in the U.S. Senate 
and 31 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, giving them majorities in both houses. The election made Nancy Pelosi the first ever female, first ever Italian-American, and first ever Californian Speaker of the House. It made Keith Ellison the first Muslim ever elected to the U.S. Congress, and Maisie Hirano and Hank Johnson became the first Buddhists in any U.S. governing body. So, it was not a good year to be running as a Republican, but Mike Steele, very enterprisingly, thought he had a solution. He did. He did. This is from the Baltimore Sun, September 22nd, 2006. Mm-hmm. And again, Michael Steele's running for office. Quote, Democrats accuse Steele of political identity theft. No, Maryland voters, the printer did not make an error. Lieutenant Governor Michael S. Steele's new campaign signs seem to identify him as a Democrat. What? A Steele Democrat, they read. The bright blue placards and bumper stickers made their debut yesterday in Baltimore during an event announcing a new coalition of Democrats supporting the Lieutenant Governor's U.S. Senate bid. Mm-hmm. Steele, of course, is the Republican nominee for Senate and a foreman chairman of the state Republican Party. The group and accompanying signs appear to be the latest Steele effort to distance himself from an unpopular White House and a Republican Party struggling to maintain its hold on Congress. The state Democratic Party chairman immediately accused him of identity theft. Steele supporters said the term was akin to calling someone a Reagan Democrat. Bullshit. Yeah, right. I call bullshit. Yeah, we all call bullshit on that one. No elected Democrats showed up for the event. Oh. Donald F. Norris, a professor of public policy at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, said that while such cross-party coalitions are a routine campaign gimmick, Steele's new signs are underhanded and a dirty trick. Oh, ho, we're a blue state, aren't we? Norris said, this is an obvious attempt on the part of a candidate who is behind in the polls to confuse the voters about which party he actually represents. To me, it's a form of dirty politics, unquote. Yeah. And some of you might remember the late, great Steve Gilliard, who had a lot to say about Michael Steele during the years he was on this earth and blogging. And Steve Gilliard replied to Michael Steele's identity theft in real time the next day, because that's what you used to in blogging. You used to reply very fast the next day. Quote, how stupid do they think black voters are? When some store owner in Ohio put up a Blackwell poster in his store, one customer said outright that he lost his business. They wouldn't even admit supporting Blackwell to the black reporter who was questioning them, much less use their full name for attribution. Now, how pathetic is this event? A bunch of crackheads and one of Mifuni's eight kids, not one elected black official, steals desperate for Mifuni to support him, but I guess Mifuni might want another Pollock six job one day, which he won't get if he supports Steele. When people ask, Steele only has to get some black votes, or maybe people will believe that thing about the KKK, I just shake my head. For some reason, blacks have been cast as emotional children when it comes to voting as if black skin is enough to claim allegiance. That may work for Allen Iverson, but not in politics. The idea that Steele, after his open, flagrant support of hard-right Republicans, can now come to blacks for support is insane. They know who he is, and they dislike him. Black people know their history. They know who is on their side and who isn't. 
Steele isn't playing nice guy and trying to play Democrat because people disagree with his politics. It's because they disagree with being a Republican on a far more fundamental level. I've never used the invective here. I've heard casually about most Republicans. The only one who's exempted from that is Colin Powell, and that's because he hasn't been a craven lackey to the right. But I don't think most people outside the black community understand how reviled the GOP is. It's more than politics. It's personal. Sure, some people want to talk to the GOP, but those efforts always fail because the GOP isn't serious. I mean, black commentators openly debate if Katrina was genocide or not. In that kind of environment, the GOP isn't going to get a hearing. When black people reject black Republicans, it's a personal rejection as well as a political one, unquote. Yeah. Steve Gilliard did not sugarcoat it. No. He got into trouble repeatedly mm-hmm. for, and and it was like, who is this racist blogger who's talking about? And then they found out Steve Gilliard was black. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole other thing that we'll talk about someday. But Some other it, day we'll talk about that, yeah, right? It was quite a thing. But this incident of using blue placards and blue bumper stickers and mm-hmm. saying steal Democrats. Mm-hmm. crystallizes the fundamental contradiction at the heart of Steele's political life. He wants the spotlight. He wants higher office. And he wants to do those things and have those things as a Republican. Except Michael Steele's Republican Party is a deeply racist party. Mm-hmm. And while the mainstream media would fanatically deny this basic fact about the GOP until about a week ago, Everyone, including Michael Steele, damn well knows it. And for his entire career, he hasn't even cared because he's shameless. This is from the Washington Post, June 26, 2006. Quote, Steele's donor list stirs racial questions. Those who offended blacks contribute. The fundraiser thrown for Maryland Lieutenant Governor Michael S. Steele on Thursday night while ordinary in most ways, struck some African-American leaders as notable because of the host. Unlike the dozens of high-dollar events across the country in his U.S. Senate bid, this event was thrown by the producer of the famous Willie Horton ad. The 1988 commercial that came to symbolize the cynical use of skin color as a political wedge. It seemed a most unusual choice for Steele. The first African-American elected to statewide office in Maryland and a Republican whose strategy for winning a Senate seat in a state dominated by Democrats has involved the aggressive courtship of black voters. Why would he go for money to those who have done us harm? Asked Elbridge James, a former leader of the NAACP's Montgomery County branch. Steele said he sees nothing unusual about getting help from Floyd Brown's Citizens United Political Victory Fund, Brown produced the Willie Horton ad, which helped torpedo Michael Dukakis's presidential campaign by drawing attention to a weekend furlough program that released a black convicted murderer serving a life sentence. Mm-hmm. Nor, Steele said, was there anything incongruous about donations he took from others who have offended black audiences in the past including Republican Senators Trent Lott of Mississippi and Mm -hmm. Conrad Burns of Montana, as well as Alex Castellanos, the man behind the racially charged White Hands ad that then-Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina used to attack 
his black challenger. It featured a close-up shot of a pair of white hands crumpling a letter. As the narrator says, you needed that job, but they had to give it to a minority. In an interview, Steele said, I appreciate all the support I get from members of my party. Not mentioning that that's the Republican Party. No. <laughs> Unquote. No. Yeah. Um, Steele has always been perfectly aware of his value and utility to the Republican Party. He knows that as a deeply racist political party, Republicans will always need black men and women of easy virtue, willing to publicly eat shit for that party and deny that there's anything untoward or racist going on in there. And Michael Steele has always been happy to be that guy. In February of 2007, the Republican Party put him to work running GOPAC, raising money for state and local Republican elections around the country. He succeeded former U.S. Congressman J.C. Watts, a fellow black Republican. Then in April of 2007, he was hired as a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of the law firm of Dewey and LeBouf. He became a semi-regular on Real Time with Bill Maher and appeared on Stephen Colbert's Colbert Report and on Jon Stewart's Daily Show. He was, also fun fact, the guy who coined the phrase drill, baby drill, during the 2008 Republican National Convention in Minnesota. To understand what happened to Michael Steele next, we have to now sidestep a little bit back to the year 2004 and the Illinois race for U.S. Senate. The incumbent Republican Senator Peter Fitzgerald had decided to retire after one term, so this was an open seat. Then State Senator Barack Obama won the Democratic primary, and a guy with the movie star name of Jack Ryan won the Republican primary. Now, Ryan was married to Jerry Ryan, who you may know from Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Picard as Seven of Nine, or as one of the most stalwart voices during the recent sag after strike. Three months later, Jack Ryan dropped out of the race for, uh, for uh, the Senate after the Chicago Tribune persuaded a California court to release records from Ryan's child custody case, which included allegations that Ryan had pressured his then-wife to perform sexual acts in public. So, what is the Illinois Republican Party going to do? Well, they imported a complete nut job from Maryland. From Maryland. Named Alan Keyes to run against Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Keyes believed God himself had called him to run in this race. That is not hyperbole. He said, mm -hmm. God has chosen me to run in this race. Mm -hmm. Keyes opposed abortion under virtually all circumstances. He believed homosexuality was an abomination and disowned his own daughter, who is a lesbian. He believed that Jesus Christ would never vote for Obama. And when he lost in a blowout, he refused to congratulate Obama. This is what he said instead, quote, I'm supposed to make a call that represents the congratulations toward the triumph of that which I believe ultimately stands for, a culture evil enough to destroy the very soul and heart of my country? I cannot do this, and I will not make a false gesture. Unquote. I, Sound I, I familiar? Make, I'm making a gesture right now, Blue Cow. So. <laughs> On November 14th, 2008, Keyes filed a lawsuit naming as defendants California Secretary of State Deborah Bowen, President-elect Barack Obama, Vice President-elect Joe Biden, and California's 55 Democratic electors, challenging Obama's eligibility for the U.S. presidency. Mm -hmm. 
The suit requested that Obama provide documentation that he is a native citizen of the United States. Alan Keyes, Black uh, Baltimore, you know, Maryland politician running it for the Senate against Obama. Obama gets elected president. Alan Keyes is a birther. He's a birther. Straight up birther. Mm Mm-hmm. Following the inauguration, Keyes alleged that Obama had not been constitutionally inaugurated. He refused to call him president, called him a usurper and a radical communist. Keyes also claimed that Obama's birth certificate had been forged and he was not qualified to be president. In other words, a birther. Uh-huh. And a complete nut job, or as we call them now, a typical Republican. Typical baseline Republican. Yep. So why? Why did the Illinois Republican Party, who had held that Senate seat before, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Why did they import this crackpot from Maryland to run for the Senate in their state? Because Democrats nominated Barack Obama, who is black. And the Illinois Republican Party needed any Republican who had a pulse and a resume and who was black to run against him to prove that they aren't a party of bigots. So they grabbed keys and tossed him into the ring. And let's face it, this was also, you know, go time. They'd lost their candidate, Jack Ryan. Badly. To a a horrible sex scandal. Uh They had to get somebody, like someone with a pulse. And Alan Keyes was available, willing, and black. Mm -hmm. Um. Barack Obama won the race for the Senate with 70% of the vote. Yep. Now, even in a rather lopsided state like Illinois, that is not all registered Democrats voting no. for Barack Obama no, for no, Senate. No. And and Barack Obama went all over the state. I mean, he wore yep. literal holes in his shoes campaigning like mad for that seat. I remember that. I was here. I was, you know, I, I had met him when he was, I vetted him when he ran for Congress and lost. Um, So he legitimately worked his ass off, but- Alan Keyes was so bad, so off the He was a wackadoodle, and he was wackadoodle on the debate stage. And no one wanted him to be in the Senate except diehard Republicans. Right. So four years later, on November 4th, 2008, Barack Obama beat John McCain by nine and a half million votes and became the first black president-elect in American history. And then, literally, one week later... This is from Politico, quote, steals in for RNC chair. I want the gig. Former Maryland Lieutenant Governor Michael Steele shook up the emerging race for chair of the Republican National Committee Thursday, announcing that he would join the contest in an appearance on Fox News, Hannity and Combs. I want the gig. I'm ready to lead this party, Steele said. I think we've been kind of wandering and doubting ourselves for far too long. I think this past election was the culmination of that self-doubt, which has to end. We have a message, I think, of empowerment and ownership and opportunity that resonates with Americans. We just need to get back to that, unquote. So, on Tuesday, January 20th, 2009, Barack Obama was inaugurated as the 44th President of the United States. Ten days later, from PBS, quote, RNC elects Steele as chair, signaling shift for GOP. It's time for something completely different, Steele said after crossing the 85-vote threshold 
to win the GOP chairmanship in a 91 to 77 vote. Mm-hmm. 91 to 77. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. The final result came in the sixth round of voting by a party still reeling from deep losses in the last election cycle, including Mm -hmm. Barack Obama's electoral triumph over GOP presidential hopeful John McCain to become the nation's first black president. We're going to say to friend and foe alike, we want you to be a part of us. We want you to be with us. And for those who wish to obstruct, get ready to get knocked over. Steele told RNC members, unquote. And in Michael Steele, the Republican Party got exactly the kind of callow, ornamental stooge that they had paid for. On March 1st, 2009, on CBS's Face the Nation, White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel said out loud what everybody already knew. That, quote, whenever a Republican criticizes Rush Limbaugh, they have to run back and apologize to him and say they were misunderstood. He is the voice and the intellectual force and energy behind the Republican Party. And he has been upfront about what he views and hasn't stepped back from that, which is that he hopes for President Obama's failure. He said it, and I compliment him for his honesty, but that's their philosophy, which is enunciated by Rush Limbaugh, unquote. And that provoked Michael Steele into doing one of the many, many stupid things he did as RNC chair because of the fundamental conflict that defines Steele's personality. On one level, he knows full well what the GOP hired him to do, stand in front of this openly racist political party and lie his ass off, to use the color of his own skin to deflect criticism away from a party that despises him. On the other hand, he has to continue to maintain the illusion that what he brings to the party is, you know, savage and principled leadership, that he's really in charge. So on March 1st, 2009, Steele went on the CNN program D.L. Hughley breaks down the news to make it clear that he, rather than Rush Limbaugh, was, quote, the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Rush Limbaugh is an entertainer. Rush Limbaugh's whole thing is entertainment. Yes, it's incendiary. Yes, it's ugly, unquote. So obviously, Rush Limbaugh took that line down. Nothing ever happened. (laughs) Everything was cool, right? Nope. The very next day on his radio show, Rush Limbaugh dropped a house on Michael Steele. He said Steele was not fit to lead the Republican Party and asked why Steele claimed, quote, to lead the Republican Party when he seemed obsessed with seeing to it Barack Obama succeeds, unquote. Immediately after the show, Steele called Limbaugh to do what Steele always did whenever the actual leaders of the GOP yanked his leash and reminded him of the only reason they hired him in the first place. He called Rush Limbaugh to grovel and bullshit. Quote, I have enormous respect for Rush Limbaugh. I was maybe a little bit uh, inarticulate. There was no attempt on my part to diminish his voice or his leadership. I went back at that tape and realized words that I said weren't what I was thinking. It was one of those things where I, I thinking I was saying one thing and it came out differently. <laughs> what I was trying to say was that a lot of people want to make Rush the scapegoat, the boogeyman, and he's not, unquote. This kind of hibbly-bibbly bullshit is actually Michael Steele's only skill. He later issued another statement just to make sure Rush knew he was really, really sorry, saying, quote, Rush Limbaugh is a national conservative leader, and in no way do I want to diminish his voice. I truly apologize, unquote. 
And then on May 19, 2009, Michael Steele told the RNC annual state chairman's meeting, now this was just a couple months later, Mm -hmm. that the era of Republicans apologizing for the past is officially over. ...and political parties who never own up to their mistakes. We have done so. We lost our way on spending, and we owned up to that. We came to Washington to change it, and in some ways, we let Washington change us. We owned up to that. We've taken some important steps to recover our values and our senses, and we can say we see the world with a clearer head and a sharper vision. The era of apologizing for Republican mistakes of the past is now officially over. It is done. And then we enter the era of death panels. Hey, Michael Steele, what about those fake death panels your party is obsessed with? Well, this is from the Atlantic Magazine, August 19th of 2009. Quote, RNC Chairman Michael Steele is not willing to say that death panel rumors are false. This is by Connor Clark. I don't want to spend all week writing about death panels. Writing about something that doesn't exist is tedious, and I realize that by giving further attention to the subject, I am possibly just playing into the intended trap, which is to give everyone the impression that there is genuine controversy and uncertainty here rather than just a bunch of straightforward lying about the administration's healthcare proposals. I hope I'm not doing that because it really is just a bunch of straightforward lying. But it's getting weird, and I cannot resist. Here, via Ben Smith, is RNC Chairman Michael Steele, like a latter-day Jacques Derrida, deconstructing the question of whether or not death panels panels exist. Michael Steele, the chairman of the Republican National Committee, said the false death panel rumor about President Obama's health care plan is a grassroots notion that he does not know if he believes. Steele said he does not regret that Republicans such as Sarah Palin and Newt Gingrich raised the death panel issue. Some characterize it as unfortunate. Others characterize it as a reflection of what they think and what they feel, Steele said in an interview on MSNBC's Morning Joe, that comes from some place and is something that's out there in the grassroots of America, not just Republicans. Asked if he thinks there actually is a death panel provision in the bill, a suggestion that has been proven untrue and the White House has been spent a week knocking it down, Steele says he does not know. Unquote. And he cannot read a piece of paper. No, well, the, the bill is so large. And yes, he, it's and so large. He's, yes. He has no experience reading legislation of any kind. What What are you talking about? Salon Magazine characterized Steele's double-talking duplicity like this on August 13th of 2009. Well, people believe there are death panels. For Michael Steele, it's okay to be scared of things that aren't real. Unquote. Yeah. Yeah, he he didn't want to come out and lie, right. but he didn't want to tell the base that they were they were nuts and they were paranoid. Yeah. So he just said, "Who knows? It's unknowable. It's an unknowable thing. It's out there. People believe it. You can't just look it up and know things. It's it's something people believe, and therefore that belief is true." Now, as party chair, Michael Steele said a whole lot of dumb and patently false things, like you know George Bush's economic policies were awesome, and the <laughs> only problem was that he had inherited. A terrible recession from that evil Bill Clinton. That wow. was what really screwed. It. Yep, yep. Oh, Talk yeah. about fa- no fair remembering stuff. Yeah. Wow. Oh no, he just he was chock full of shit every day. But there was this exchange in February of 2009 on This Week with George Stephanopoulos where he popped off 
with one of the all-time stupidest things I've ever heard, that when you count the number of jobs in the United States, government jobs don't count as jobs. That, in fact, the government does not create jobs. Only the private sector creates jobs. And when he said that, even George Stephanopoulos looked stunned. Now, Steele wanted to explain that government jobs don't count as jobs because they have an endpoint. And again, George Stephanopoulos was practically speechless. Now, the rest of this is from my own lightly fictionalized version of what happened on that show, but it remains true to the spirit of that show. Stephanopoulos. So people will rebuild who rebuild our shitty schools don't really count as people who have jobs? Michael Steele. No, because those jobs will eventually end. They're all just make work. And private sector jobs never, ever end. Stephanopoulos. But like 3.9 million people lost their jobs this year. All of those private sector jobs ended. Michael Steele. Sure, but private sector jobs always come back, George. The magic job unicorn brings them back to us. Stephanopoulos. Oh my God, you're a complete douche, aren't you? Steele. I'm a Republican, George. We're all douches. So <laughs> this is the official party of the pol uh, policy of the party of God, right? That cops don't have jobs. That teachers don't have jobs. And the lady that delivers your mail, that's not a job. And the hematologist at the county blood bank does not have a job. The gearheads and welders who make sure the buses and garbage trucks run, rain or shine, they don't have jobs. The air traffic controller who made sure your mom's plane didn't slam into a mountain doesn't have a job. Customs agent isn't a real job. Even though millions of these people have worked honorably on a public payroll, providing vital services for decades, may have put their kids through college, bought a house, and retired on that salary, the chairman of the Republican National Committee does not consider what they do to be real jobs. So my mother, who taught her whole life, never had a real job. My dad, who was a principal, was also somehow unemployed his whole life. And all the dams my grandpa built, that's not real labor. And the defense plants he worked at didn't really exist at all. So hey, Blue Gal, did you know Michael Steele put out a really shitty book in January of 2010? I believe it. <laughs> it was called, Right Now, A 12-Step Program for Defeating the Obama Agenda. It was by, this won't surprise you, Regnery Press. Wow. And here's the blurb from Michael Steele. President Obama read on promises of bipartisanship and centrism, but he's delivered something else. Unprecedented government borrowing and spending. Bullshit. Unsustainable debt. That's all Bush. And audacious attempts to usher in a colossal, overbearing government, the likes of which we have never seen, unquote. Which sounds a lot like... Uh, the, the way Donald Trump describes things. Yeah. Now, this book made his employers really mad. This is from the Washington Post blog. Remember when Washington Post had a blog? The Washington Post blog of January of 2010. Quote, steal to GOP critics, get a life or fire me. I know what they eventually did. So do you. So <laughs> I don't want to ruin the end of the story. Spoilers. But, yeah. <laughs> Republican National Committee Chairman Michael S. Steele lashed out at critics Thursday after some prominent Republicans reportedly questioned his leadership of the party and accused Steele of focusing more on his own image than on rebuilding the GOP. Yeah, well, they weren't wrong about that. I tell them to get a life, Steele told ABC News Radio in an interview on Thursday. I'm looking them in the eye and saying I've had enough of it. If you don't want me in the job, fire me. But until then, shut up. Get with the program or get out of the way. Uh, Steele apparently was responding in part to a Thursday report in the Washington Times 
that quotes some GOP operatives as saying they plan to withhold donations from the RNC because they aren't happy with Steele's leadership. In the story, Republicans accuse Steele of spending too much time promoting a new book, Right Now, a 12-step program for defeating the Obama agenda, written by Michael Steele, and giving paid speeches around the country, unquote. More hibbly-bibbly from Michael Steele. And then came the Tea Party years. The Tea Party years. In the years to come, as an ex-RNC chair, Steele would come to brag about what an awesome job he personally did in 2010 when the Republican Party won back the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. In fact, winning the House back had almost nothing to do with him. Instead, it was a product of the wall-to-wall coverage that Fox News and the mainstream media were giving to two things. One, Obamacare and everybody's fears about what Obamacare was going to bring. And two, the Republican rebranding scam called the Tea Party. Mm -hmm. And however much Michael Steele wants to remember 2010 as the year he personally led the GOP to victory, at the time he was being very, very careful not to be seen in public with teabaggers. This is from the Washington Post, February 17th, 2010. Quote, Tea Partiers get an audience with RNC chairman, but not a shared public stage. Republican National Committee Chairman Michael Steele treated Tea Party leaders like an ugly date Tuesday afternoon. They were good enough to take upstairs, but not good enough to be seen with in public. Mm -hmm. Steele invited leaders of the conservative movement over to the GOP's Capitol Hill headquarters to the adjacent National Republican Club, technically, for a private meeting on the third floor. But Republican leaders, probably wary of TV footage showing a Tea Party takeover of RNC headquarters, denied the activists' request to use the facility for the news conference they had planned for afterward. The moment encapsulated well the Republican Party's dilemma as it tries to harness the considerable energy of the Tea Party movement. Steele's task is essentially to co-opt its leaders, keeping them from electoral challenges that could hurt the GOP's chances. Yet at the same time, he can't appear to the rest of the country to be embracing a movement known for extremist words and deeds. Unquote. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of words and deeds, hey, Michael, what about that bondage-themed nightclub? This is me in Crooks and Liars, writing on March 29th, 2010. Changing the image of the Republican Party to the Republican Party, Chairman Michael Steele spent almost two grand at a nightclub designed around a less-than-family values theme. Ahem. <clears throat> Via the Daily Caller, FEC filings suggest... Steele travels in style. A February RNC trip to California, for example, included a $9,099 stop at the Beverly Hills Hotel, $6,596 dropped at the nearby Four Seasons, and $1,946.25 at Voyeur West Hollywood, a bondage-themed nightclub featuring topless women dancers imitating lesbian sex. Steele himself declined numerous interview requests, though his defenders point out that luxurious accommodations are sometimes necessary 
to attract big-time donors, especially since Republicans remain in the minority in Washington. Still, the nature and size of Steele's expenses are likely to reignite persistent complaints from high-end donors and key party figures that the RNC is bleeding cash in the months before a pivotal midterm election. Several sources indicate that one must reserve a table well in advance at Voyeur, West Hollywood, which anyone with a web browser could research as being, quote, bad for publicity with the Christian wing, if you know what I mean. Here's a description of West Hollywood's newest corset leather and other trapdoor lingerie-inspired den, Voyeur. It has an inescapable link to Eyes Wide Shut. Women in various states of undress line the club, some hanging from the ceiling above you in nets, equipped with whips, so watch yourself, and a photo booth to document the whole thing are just the tip of the iceberg. Around the room, you can catch men and women undulating, or dancing, in cages. The decor distinctly feels as if you're unveiling something naughty. And you're met with a constant stream of various erotic multimedia, like film clips and risque photography. Sorry to have gotten you all worked up at the office. And then I wrote, Did they go on gay night? Honestly, I can't decide which is worse. That some GOP fundraiser committee thought the way to reach big donors was to spend two grand at an S&M sex-themed bar, or that GOP big donors are actually courted this way in complete disregard for the family values planks in the party's platform. And did they think the word voyeur in the FEC filings would go overlooked by us bloggers? Just how stupid are they? Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. Uh, Uh, And then I did update my post to note that the RNC had released a statement that Michael Steele has, quote, no knowledge of the expenditure, as if that makes it better. Yeah, I don't know what people were doing in my name. Yeah, how people are spending the party's money. I was not aware. Now, it what should be obvious by now at this point in our little story is that Michael Steele's superpower is his superhuman level of denial that he routinely operates at. Now, in one moment... He can be very clear-eyed and realistic about his party's place in history. This is from Talking Points Memo, April of 2010. Quote, Appearing Tuesday at DePaul University in Chicago, Republican National Committee Chair Michael Steele said that the Republican Party had not given African Americans a reason to vote for them. You really don't have a reason to be, to be honest, we haven't done a very good job of really giving you one. True? True. Said Steele, the Chicago Sun-Times reports. Steele said how the Republican Party had been founded as a pro-civil rights party, with Frederick Douglass among its early members. However, Steele explained the Republican Party had alienated those voters. Quote, for the last 40 years plus, we have had a Southern strategy that alienated many minority voters by focusing on the white male vote in the South, unquote. So, Michael Steele isn't just a Twitter troll who repeats idiotic Republican talking points to make us liberals cry. He clearly knows the history of his political party. So you ask yourself, how can he justify staying in it and promoting this Southern strategy party? And he explains that in the very next paragraph. Quote, 
Well, guess what happened in 1992, folks? Bubba went home to the Democratic Party and voted for Bill Clinton, unquote. Wow. Which is every bit as ludicrous as his Southern strategy remarks were accurate and true. And it's in this tension between the racist modern history of his Republican Party, and Michael Steele is still a Republican, and the ridiculous delusions about his party that he hangs on to for dear life, in that tension is where Michael Steele lives. Steele survived one term as RNC chair before being ousted by Reince Priebus. Remember Reince Priebus? I do. And he was fired over the bondage nightclub spending and the, you know, the spending and the spending. (laughs) And then he was hired by MSNBC in 2011 as a political consultant. Mm -hmm. He also got a gig at Brown University. He joined the Lincoln Project. Then came the Lincoln Project sex scandals, and then he distanced himself from the Lincoln Project. Now, I have never in my life had one good thing to say about CPAC or the thugs who run it. But I will say that we got some big laughs when everyone freaked out the day CPAC communications director Ian Walters told the ugly truth about why the GOP hired Michael Steele in the first place. This is from CNN in February of 2018. Quote, at the Ronald Reagan dinner, CPAC communications director Ian Walters said, Steele was elected RNC chair because he's a black guy. Quote, we were somewhat lost as a group. We had just elected the first African-American president, and that was a big deal. And that was a hill that we got over. (laughs) I don't know what that means. And it was something that we were all proud of and we weren't sure what to do. I see. So he's talking about getting the hill over the hill of having never elected a black president. And as a nation, we weren't sure we were proud of that. And then as a party, we weren't sure what to do. Mm -hmm. And in a little bit of cynicism, what did we do? This is a terrible thing. We elected Mike Steele to be the RNC chair because he's a black guy. That was the wrong thing to do, Walters said. Steele told MSNBC on Friday that Walters called him and tried to apologize, but he rejected the apology. He did call and he tried to explain himself and said what he was thinking. He relayed it back to Barack Obama's election. And then he said at one point, I apologize. And I just said, you know, that's just not acceptable. That's not enough, Steele recalled, unquote. Why couldn't... Steele take the high road like Rush Limbaugh when yeah. Michael Steele went crawling to him for an apology. No, I guess Rush Limbaugh is a better person than Michael Steele. <laughs> um, now, we'd like to end this by telling you about a conversation between Michael Steele and longtime Republican strategist Stuart Stevens, where Steele morphs his political origin story for the umpteenth time to fit where Stevens is taking the narrative. Remember that during his tenure as RNC chair, Steele's story was that the bigots all left the GOP to vote for Bill Clinton. Boom. That's how I can stay in the party. They all went over to vote Bill Clinton, and the party's great, and I can be a a proud member of it. Later, after he was deposed and after the rise of Donald Trump made it really, really clear exactly how deeply racist the Republican Party was, Michael Steele changed his origin myth to fit a newer and uglier reality. Sure, Okay, the GOP was deeply racist before he became RNC chair. <laughs> and obviously it is racist, a racist shithole now. But during the very brief period when he served as the party's chair, 
he'd driven all the bigots out of the party, like St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. Isn't that obvious? And it was only after he was cruelly betrayed and deposed that the bigots all came rushing back. Wow. Isn't that (laughs) tragic? Now, during his conversation with Stuart Stevens, Michael Steele retcons his story a little bit further. Now, instead of the hero who drove the bigots out of the GOP and swept the party back to power in 2010, Michael Steele reimagines himself as a noble and doomed Cassandra who warned party leaders that putting a black guy at the head of the party, quote, wouldn't do jack. That without fundamental reform at the precinct level, the party would never change, but the party refused his advice and the recommendations of the noble, doomed Cassandra named Michael Steele. Then, during this conversation, he launched into a long recitation of the history of his Republican Party, which was completely surreal. We hear about, quote, Barry Goldwater and his embrace of segregation, and Richard Nixon and, quote, his embrace of a Southern strategy. And, quote, my political hero, Ronald Reagan, started his political campaign in the worst godforsaken racist hole in Mississippi. Steele wondered aloud that maybe, just maybe, the racist GOP isn't really interested in reform. That maybe this is just who they are. They like it that way. And then he ticks off in quick order, Trayvon Martin, police violence, and redlining. And now huh. the GOP... Yeah, isn't that wild? He yeah. happens to know the Republican Party is still racist. And now that his Republican Party has embraced saying the quiet part out loud, now that no one is playing it off as an accident anymore or bothering to speak in wingnut code and instead are being really open and racist and passing racist enabling acts to keep themselves in power, quote, this is from Michael Steele, our party gave birth to that from Goldwater on. Understand why Daddy King, Martin Luther King Sr., broke with the party. You want to hear more? Here's more Michael Steele. When Johnson made his break with the segregationist past of the Democratic Party and embraced Kennedy's civil rights agenda, that freed up these white Southern men to take their votes someplace else. All of this, all of it was spoken as if it had all happened on some other timeline in another universe where it was all tragic and horrible, but somehow had nothing to do with Michael Steele. You know, he could knock on Dinesh D'Souza's door. Yep. And give him this information. Yep. <laughs> he totally could. He could He could clue him in as to what was going on. Clue him in as to what the actual history of the civil rights era and who joined what party in 1964. Yeah, he knows it all. He, he yeah. knows perfectly well the history of his party. But he knows that a party like that needs a guy like him yeah. out front to soak up the And it's a career the decision. Group. There's no it doubt is. about it. It's a yeah. cynical a very practical, very profitable career decision. And as a postscript, on November 30th, 2023, MSNBC announced that Michael Steele would now be co-hosting a new weekend morning show. MSNBC is not your friend. They really aren't. And this is why remembering the past is so important. Um, That whole bit about him faking being a Democrat to try to win an election in Maryland, I bet most people do not remember that ever happened. Mm-hmm. And so they just take him at face value for who he is and where he is. And one more thing that you don't want to forget, as long as we're remembering things, don't forget we really need more Patreons to make this podcast work. So if you can spare five bucks or more than five bucks, please do so. 
and visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. And thank you so much for doing that. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. The Professional F Podcast No Fair Remembering Stuff Tuesday edition is produced under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2022-23, DGBG Productions.